0: I want to begin to make a comment for those who may be listening later, listening online, that we spent time this morning uh, talking with a couple who serve our Savior in a closed country, and for security reasons, that portion of the service was not recorded. Now today, we're going to uh, take the rest of our time allotted together to talk about the greatest missionary in the history of the world. At least we're going to point you in that person's direction. And before we do that, uh, I'd like you to allow me to remind you that you, in a sense, are a missionary. (laughs) Uh, there's there's a difference between most of us here and those we refer to as missionaries, and it is kind of a big difference uh, I, I don't want to make light of it, but but they go, and yeah, I know you're sitting there thinking, yeah, but we're supposed to go too, and I get that I understand that, but we go locally, they go elsewhere. <laughs> And and that usually requires that they learn a new language and they adapt to a different culture. Uh, There's a great deal of sacrifice in it. There there elsewhere could be another culture that is close by geographically or or they may have to go to another state or another country or even another hemisphere. And that, in a sense, is a distinguishing mark of the missionary is they go elsewhere. And, And the reason they go The reason they go there is because God sent them, and yet much of what they do, and we heard that this morning, much of what they do when they get there, when they arrive in there elsewhere, is similar to the kinds of things that we ought to be doing here. So if we talk about a missionary, much of what we say transfers to us, some of them just very directly, while other parts might need some kind of minor modifications, Now, we're going to begin our discussion by talking about Paul the Apostle. And there's, of course, much that we can learn from such a study. We can identify seven major, and I want to call them, characteristics of his life, which defined him as a missionary. And therefore, as we noted, uh, they must in some way describe us. Now, let me list those for you right now. First, Paul was in a right relationship with God. Uh, We could put it this way. He was saved. But then he was also a faithful church member. Now, most of us think of him as a church planner, and he was. But before that, he was part of a local expression of the body of Christ, and he was always a part of a church. The third, fourth, and fifth characteristics of Paul in, in this list are he lived out his faith, He loved, and he prayed. And and then we're going to note that he was faithful to share the good news with other people. And lastly, he was sent. Now, sometimes we refer to that as uh, his call, uh, meaning that God called him to a certain place or a certain task. And, And except for that first one in my list, there's really no particular reason to have the order that I chose. Uh, you might think it was the right thing to put the fact that he was sent last because chronologically it came later in his life, but Paul knew right from the very beginning when he first put his faith in Christ that he was called. Each of those seven things uh, are vital and necessary. Each is an important descriptive of the Christian life. And none of them really stand alone. Instead, they're kind of all woven together. They work together. They, they strengthen one another. They come together to kind of form a complete life. And each of those seven things could easily be the subject of a, of a message. Each of them, as a matter of fact, could, could be a series of messages. But for our purposes today, we're going to talk about all seven. And to do that, we're going to have to be brief. Some of them we're just going to kind of mention. Some of them we'll spend a little bit more time on. So so the first one in our list is really the first thing. Uh, It's foundational, and without it, there are no missionaries. (laughs) In fact, without it, there is no Christian life. You see, it's necessary for us to be in a right relationship with God. Now, Paul's story that we're going to look at is our story. The details are just different. But because this is so important, we're going to take a little bit of time here. Most of you are probably familiar with his story. It's found in uh, the beginning of it anyway. It's found in uh, the ninth chapter of Acts. And I have to say something. For some of you who might be here and new to the Bible, there are two things that will help you to know, uh, that it would be helpful for you to know before we take a little closer look at that chapter. Uh, First, the Apostle Paul was also known as Saul. He was a Jew who lived in the Roman world, and so Paul was his Greek name, and Saul was his Jewish name. And second, before he was in that right relationship with God, he persecuted Christians. Now this is what we read about him in the beginning of chapter one, uh, chapter nine. Meanwhile, that is, after the stoning of the Christian, person Stephen which Paul or Saul had participated in meanwhile uh, Saul was breathing out still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples and he went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so if he found any there who belonged to the way whether men or women he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem so Paul persecuted Christians. He was determined to destroy them. And because of this, he he later refers to himself as the chief or, or the worst of sinners. But God had other plans for Paul. And so we continue reading. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting," he replied. "Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do." Now I don't think that it would take a great deal of imagination for us to know the kind of thoughts that must have been going around in Paul's head. Now, verse nine: uh, Clues of sin. For three days he was blind; that was a result of the light, and he did not eat or drink anything, and that, no doubt, was a result of fear. Uh, If if you don't get it yet, Paul understood that by all rights, he was a doomed man. He now knew that what he had been so faithfully trying to do is that he had been uh, faithfully persecuting the people of God. He knew that he deserved condemnation. And yet God, our God, the only God, the true God, is an amazing God who offers salvation to sinful human beings. And so we continue reading. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on States, Straight uh, Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And if you're familiar with the story, you know Ananias did not want to go. He knew all about this man uh, and all the harm that he had done to believers in Jerusalem. But God sent him anyway, and he went in spite of his concerns. And so verse 17 and following tells us this. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, and placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord... Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes so he could see again. And he got up and he was baptized. And you understand it was right there at that meeting that Paul put his trust in Jesus Christ. And just to finish off that really remarkable story, we we can see the effect it had on Paul in verse 20. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And I just want to laugh out loud like my wonderful grandmother used to do and just say, glory be to God. He's preaching the very message he had tried to stamp out. You see, when a person is saved, when they are put in that right relationship with God, it makes a difference in the things they do. Has it made a difference in your life? Now, now you might be wanting to ask me why I have spent so much time and the little bit of time that we have together this morning on this part. And, and, it, and it's because it's foundational. Everything from the Christian life proceeds from this, and without this, we have nothing. And, and you need to understand that Paul's conversion was dramatic. I mean, you and I know that. We can, we can see it in this account, but it is really no different than yours or mine. You and I might not have persecuted Christians, but I bet if you were at all like me, you'd look down your noses at them before you came to the faith. And yet though we didn't persecute anyone, we were sinners nonetheless, and we were condemned because of it, just as Paul was. Ananias went to Paul with the good news, just as we learned the gospel from someone who in some manner or another came to us. And then we had no visions, before that messenger came into our lives to tell us that good news, the Holy Spirit was already at work in our lives, preparing us to hear what God would say to us so that we could receive that? Paul knew clearly after his encounter with Jesus that he was condemned. There was nothing that he could do to save himself. Before that, he was, he was like us <laughs> before we knew Christ. He thought he was okay. He thought that he was good enough, that he could earn favor with God, that he, he could work his way into heaven. And that's exactly what we thought until we learned the truth. The same God who loved and saved the worst of sinners, loved and saved us. And that's a truth we can never forget. It, it, it doesn't matter where we are in our Christian walk; We must go back to that truth over and over again. And to forget that is to invite confusion and even disaster into our lives. And, and then, too, I, I want to spend the time here uh, because maybe there are some that are here today or maybe listening later who are figuratively speaking still on the road to damascus and if that's you you, you've been thinking that you're okay Uh, you've excused your sin because after all you're only human you haven't understood how awful are the bad things that you have done that you know you've done them nor how terrible it really is that you have not done the good things that you knew you should do, but you didn't do them. And if you're still on that road, let me tell you the truth. Just one of those things that you did or didn't do, just one of them would require the death of the Son of God to make it right. And you, like me, cannot begin to count all of those things. That's the truth about humankind. It's the truth about you, if you haven't come to know Christ. Now, now at this point on the road to Damascus, there's essentially no difference between you and Paul, the persecutor of Christians. And unless you come to Christ, you are indeed condemned. The good news is, if he could save the worst of sinners, he can save you. Now that's you, just ask, just admit your need, confess your sin, begin to follow him. And then I something important that, that I, don't, I don't want you to overlook. You need to If you do that, you need to tell someone that you put your faith in Christ. and you need to follow through. And we're, we're going to talk some more uh, about what that means and, and uh, to be a follower of Christ. and I think that can help you, but I want to tell you, if you, if you need more help. If you still don't get it, if it isn't clear to you, I'm available. You can call me, you can come see me, and there are many, many people in this room who know Jesus and can share from God's Word what it means to put your faith in the living God and the Savior of all mankind so that you have eternal life and your sins are forgiven. So that's the first mark of a missionary and of any Christian is that they have a right relationship with God. The second mark of a missionary and a follower of Christ, and we're not going to spend any time here at all because we spent about nine months in 2018 on the topic, but I'm going to mention it now. They are faithful members of a church. Missionaries like Paul who uh, work to plant churches or help existing churches, yet before they ever do that, they're part of one themselves, and they are always part of a church in one manner or another. Jesus Christ established a church. It's his idea. He owns it. He builds it. He directs it. He died for it. It's like no other organization on the face of the earth because it is a living organism. It is the body of Christ. We are his hands, his feet, his voice. Together we express him and reveal him. God reveals himself to us When we gather here in this room in a way that he doesn't reveal himself at other times. I I believe with all my heart that he speaks uh, a message to his people. A particular message to a particular people at a particular place and a particular time. Each church is in a local expression of the body. And he knows each church and the people there intimately. And we need what the church offers. We come here and our cups are filled so we have something to offer others. So anyone in a right relationship with God will be a part of a church. And it may take some time for you to find the right one, um, the one God wants you at, if you haven't found it already, but he has one for you. And if you haven't found it, i tell you, keep looking. Or maybe you should also look into your own heart and make sure the prophet doesn't lie with you. God expects his people to be a part of church. It's, it's the locally expressed body of Christ in a particular place. Now, what I did now, and maybe you've gotten the idea that I'm kind of trying to move through this quickly this morning because we have so much going on. But, but what I've uh, done is I've grouped the third, fourth, and fifth things together in, uh, in our list because I want to handle them together. But each one is really important in its own right. So when you look at Paul's life, you see that he lived out his faith, that he loved, that he loved God and he loved people, and he was a man of prayer. So near the end of his life, Paul wrote these words about the faith, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure has near. Uh, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. See, Paul lived out his faith, and he died in and for that faith. And he had received the love of God into his heart and life, and it profoundly affected him. 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You know those words, don't you? Don't they speak to your heart? If I have a gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I might boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For God, Christ's love, compels us because we were convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And Romans 13, 9. The commandments you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one command love your neighbor. As yourself, And Paul knew that, and he knew what we must know, that love is our whole duty. He was also a man of prayer, and we see that in his many prayers recorded in the Scriptures and his teaching on it, and in statements like this one from the beginning of that first letter to the Thessalonians. I love this. I just love reading uh, this statement. Because he's just telling us what he did. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember you before our God and Father, uh, your, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, missionaries are like that. They live out the faith, they love, and they pray. And those things go together. They really can't exist, at least not for long, on their own. Can I tell you something? Because I I could make a guess that some of you, if I were to sit down and talk with you, would tell me that you're not really a person of prayer. That's the thing you probably struggle with the most. Let me tell you, if you're not a person of prayer, if you are living out the faith and loving others, or you're doing your best to do so, You will become a man or woman of prayer. It's just inevitable. Now, Anna and I were talking the the other morning uh, about all the turmoil in our nation and how we as Christians ought to live in light of it. (laughs) And and there's a danger that I think most of us face that that we're going to reduce everything to the political level. And I have to tell you... it, it, that's a danger for you. It is for me. It is for a lot of people. We have to resist that. And, and we concluded there were a number of things that we as Christians must do to make a, to, to make a difference in our world. And they're going to sound familiar to you. First, we must live out our faith. You, you know what the Bible says? It, it, it says that you as an individual, if you keep his law, if you keep his word, you resist the wicked. And when you do that, you show the way of righteousness. And we are, according to Jesus, the light and salt of the world. You are the best hope this world has, you and people like you, followers of Jesus Christ. Living out our faith matters to our world. And the next thing, and you'll guess it, is that we have to love (laughs) everyone even our enemies, even our political opponents. And you probably know, maybe you know the story of Norma McCorvey, uh, McCovey, uh, the Roe of Roe versus Wade. She was the Jane Roe in that particular case, uh, which legalized abortion in our land. A- and she worked for the abortion industry all of her life until the love of Christians went over her heart and she became a follower of Jesus Christ. Love changes our world. And finally, we need to know that we need to pray. There's power in prayer. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I, I have a, a, a relative, um, my brother's grandson. Little Wyatt uh, is his name. And Wyatt has a deve- developmental problem in, uh, Probably brought on by uh, vaccinations. Um, Normal child until that happened. And Wyatt at this point uh, uh, is uh, very autistic. And he doesn't want to be around people. And the first time I ever saw him, he was a little boy at that point. uh, And I said hello to him and he ran away screaming. And that was his response to all people. Well, I pray for Wyatt uh, just about every single day. I'm a human. I fail sometimes, but I pray for him. Recently, we were at my brother's house, and uh, I was sitting there at the at the counter in the kitchen, you know, on the stool. And that little boy Wyatt came up, and he sat down right next to me in the stool next to me. And um, and and Connie, my sister-in-law, commented on it. How that's something he just never does. You see, when you pray, it, it changes. The world out there and it changes you in here i've seen that happen over and over and over in my life as i pray for people things change i'm changed they're changed the relationship changes and so we need to pray so if you're a christian You want to make a positive difference in our nation and in the world, then you need to live out your faith, you need to love others, and you need to pray. And you need to do some other things too. I mean, in this country, let's face it, you have the right and privilege and the duty to vote. (laughs) And Maybe God might even be calling you to be more involved politically. I don't know. That's not my calling, but it might be yours. But Ann and I also decided there was one other thing we need to do to make a difference in our nation. Which brings us to our next point, and that is we need to tell others about Jesus. In in our mission statement as a church, in, in the short form, it's written in just four words, honor, grow, serve, share. The share stands for sharing our faith with others, for sharing God's word with them. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is from faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The message of the gospel is powerful. It is the door to eternal life. It is the only door but it is open to everyone. And yet someone has to tell them. They have to hear. They need to know. And that's where we come in. Can I, can I just... I can't help it. I, I Can I just relate this uh, to our political situation um, just to put things in the right perspective? You know, politicians win and lose. And parties rise and fall and programs come and go. But the word of God stands forever. And it's by that word that we are born again into eternal life. And and that mission statement of ours, as short as it is, it applies to all missionaries, but it applies to you and I too. It applies to everyone who knows Christ. And we who know him are called to share him. If you have a right relationship with God, if you're a faithful member of the church, if you attempt to live out your faith and love others and, and you keep moving in that direction, you will also be a prayer person, person of prayer, and God will open doors for you both to show by your life and to say with your mouth the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not telling you to wait until you get everything right and then go and tell. (laughs) We already have our marching orders. We've already been told what we need to be about. I'm telling you how to be effective in the faith and how to be effective witness for Jesus Christ, but it all works together. We, We won't do any of those things as well as we should. I know that. I don't. I, 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 I'm i sure you don't either. But if we keep on keeping on and we keep moving in that same direction, if we continue to be obedient and confess when we fail, then we're, we're going to become more like Christ and we're going to make a difference in our world. And, and if you see that and if you understand that, then that ought to be an encouragement to you right here this morning. The last characteristic uh, uh, of missionaries and and therefore of all believers, and and we're not going to spend any time here. We've already said something about it this morning, but for completeness' sake, I just want to remind you that missionaries are sent, but then so are we. We're just sent to different places. (laughs) Jesus said in John chapter 20, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. In the first chapter of Acts, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We're our witness in Judea, and Jerusalem. Some people go to the end of the earth. We are sent people who have been saved, who ought to be made faithful members of the local church, who ought to live our faith, who love and who pray. Who, we are those who share, who are learning to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And one last thing now. I know you've been thinking I've been telling you about the greatest missionary as I was telling you about Paul, but I wasn't. That may be. I, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I don't have warrant to say it as a fact that maybe he was the second greatest missionary. The greatest missionary ever was Jesus Christ. He came for you and me. He was sent, as we read in John chapter 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. He had a right relationship with God. Unlike us, he never sinned. But recorded for us in the third chapter of Matthew, uh, the father's word about him, a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom my love and with him I'm well pleased. He's part of the church. Well, he's more than that. He's the head of the church. He's the—it's his body. He—he—he he, he owns it. He rules it. He makes it. He guides it. He builds it. Colossians one eighteen. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. He was faithful. He trusted God to the end. Jesus, Luke twenty three forty six. Jesus called out with a loud voice. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He loved completely. 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And finally, he he prayed for us. John 17 says, My prayer is not for them alone, but I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and I, my friends. Jesus pray for you and me. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. And finally, he was faithful to share, to tell people the good news. Matthew says, Jesus went throughout the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. The greatest missionary there ever was was Jesus Christ. I, I read something a friend of mine wrote recently. Uh, he said, you know, we often talk about Jesus as, as um, leaving the glories of heaven and coming to our earth, right? And if he came to a palace, then it would still have been leaving behind glory. He came even more than that. He came down to a stable. But that really only scratches the surface. He left it all to come to get us. And when he went on that cross... He endured the wrath that was due us. He tasted death for every person. He was the greatest missionary ever. And all of us, whether we're missionaries or not, we follow him. And it's he that we honor when we come to this table. He came into this world to save you and I, and that's what this table's about. So uh, I'd like to ask those men that are helping me with communion, if you'd come forward.